My friends, my friends, we are back after two months now at this point. You know, I had said the last episode I was going to be putting them out every week. And two months later, here we are. So episode two, Rookie Mistakes. Today's guest is Jennifer Landon. She's a real estate broker in Los Angeles. This conversation turned out pretty incredible, I thought. It's really what I had hoped for with doing this podcast. It's these types of conversations that I would like to be having because I find them super motivating and there's a lot of great info and this conversation definitely highlighted that. So you are going to want to listen. Uh, The video cut out, I think, at around like an hour and seven minutes. So just keep that in mind. If you're listening to the audio or the video, there is a little break. It is super quick, but that's the reason for that. If you want to get in contact with Jen to buy or sell a house maybe in the Los Angeles area, maybe you just want some advice. I'm sure she'd be willing to help. So if you would like to get in contact with Jen, her email is jennifer at lrgla.com. And then their Instagram and Facebook is Landon Realty Group. That's L-A-N-D-O-N for Landon. And then the website is lrgla.com. So reach out there if you are in the market. And then if you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review. That would be greatly appreciated. Hope you all enjoy the episode. So what I'd like to know to start off is like when you were in high school, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do as a career or were you kind of totally lost? Like what was the point where you actually knew what you wanted to do? Well, I'm of the firm belief that I'm still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up kind of thing. I'm always learning and exploring and trying new things. However, that's just for me as a person that always wants to be expanding. Um, So I'm open to all kinds of things. But as I've gotten older, I have gotten a lot more selective on where I'm going to put my time and my money to make sure that I'm intentionally able to retire and to have a lifestyle and not have to work forever. You know, when I was younger, I explored everything. I mean, not only did I, um, I have a dance school at the same time as I had a real estate business and a real estate appraisal company. I mean, I could go on and on. Um, and I did all of that, but the older I've gotten, I've had to, to really narrow my focus into, okay, I want to be able to achieve this type of financial wealth in order to be able to then feed more of the fun expanding later in life. Okay. So did you go to college or no? Yeah, I went to USC. USC. Okay. And what was like your first career out of school? Oh, goodness. Okay. So I remember everything. So when I went to USC, I was hell bent on becoming an attorney. I wanted to be an activist, a legislative counselor and move to Washington, D.C. and fight for women's and children's issues, that was my platform that I always felt like I wanted to be um, a social servant and give back and really fight for injustice. Um, Upon graduating, I 
packed my bags and had just a little bit of wad of cash in my pocket. And I moved to Washington, D.C. and was sleeping on my friend's brother's couch for two weeks trying to figure it out. I wound up getting an internship with Congressional George Brown, um, who was the longest running uh, congressman at the time. He has since passed away. At the same time, volunteering at now. Um, and working um, at Hard Rock Cafe at night. So I would leave at like 6.30 in the morning and get home at midnight every night. And it was amazing. It really taught me a lot about work ethic. It also made me realize that um, uh, office job really isn't for me. Um, And it was. I also got to see the system up close and personal, and I really got disenchanted with it quickly. The whole, you do this for me, we'll vote for this for you. And I had came home deflated because my whole dream of what I thought it was wound up not being mm-hmm. what I thought it was. And I had to regroup and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, what I did know is that um, I had to figure it out fast because I, I found out I was having a baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I had a baby uh, younger. Uh, I was How old uh, were you? I was uh, 21, 20, oh, 22 when 22. I had her. Okay. Uh, so 22 when, when I found out I was going to have her. And um, I fell back right away into property management. I was working for Charles Dunn at the time. And my brother-in-law was a realtor. And he was killing it uh, killing it and he's like it's so easy and first of all that's why he just was really good at it and intentional um and i thought you know maybe i'll do this my family came from a whole line long line of contractors my dad was a general contractor so homes never scared me so i kind of fell into it because it fit what i needed from for my life, which was flexibility, which is kind of a joke because real estate really isn't flexible, but it has the illusion of flexibility. Uh, But you don't have to be in an office flexible. And that's what I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second capacity, which was the ability to be able to make as much as you wanted to make. Mm -hmm. No, no ceiling cap, but it also means you make as little as you could possibly make too, right? Mm -hmm. So that's really how I fell into it. And for many years, I was still trying to find myself, you know? And so, okay, so you've been doing real estate then for a while. Since since 1999 and previous to that, property management. So I've been doing it, property management, since I was 19 years old, you want to say. Mm -hmm. So then... Kind of talk about when you started then in the real estate. What like did you have success right away? Was it like a struggle for a long time? Because you kind of hear the stories, right? I mean, at least from like interviews I've heard of realtors that are really successful, like the million dollar listing people, right? Mm-hmm. They always talk about like, oh, I never, I didn't have a listing for a year, and I had to work mm-hmm. really hard, and I knocked on doors, and you know, so on and so forth, and then I finally got it. So was that kind of like how it was for you, or like? Did you have success? Kind was of there quick? some? Would they have like a an angel on my shoulder that just gave me instant success? Um, I believe success is really, you know, timing mixed with effort and just due process. I mean, that's really you keep doing that. It's consistency over time. Um, what I did have going for me was that I really knew how to relate to people and talk to people of all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, Honestly, anybody getting into this business, I guarantee some of the top producers are people that used to be 
bartenders, waitresses in that service industry because you know the grind. Mm -hmm. There's a timing and it's all about you know, making the client happy and adapting to them. Um, so I already had that mentality because I'd already been doing that. So I knew how to relate to people of all walks and generations because I was waiting tables in LA. Mm -hmm. um, but the disadvantage I had was my age and my age group and my sphere. The people that were around me, they were all waiters and bartenders. So none of them were buying houses. So I had to, the hard part was to get out there and to create a market mm -hmm. that people would number one accept me for my age um and um be willing to work with me and the fact that i had to create a whole new sphere that was probably my biggest obstacle um and i had to do it by being able to get strangers to trust me so for me open houses were my biggest thing mm -hmm. um and i would meet people they would they would uh start to trust me and build credibility and move forward that way. Um, and believe it or not, for a period of time, I was also cold calling a lot and I was really good on the phone just by luck. I think, you know, I don't, they'd hear my voice and they, I didn't sound like the typical, I guess, marketer. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, um, it was a grind. I, I got, had some luck and I had a lot of losses too. So. Do you remember how long it was before you did like your first deal? when you're when you started pursuing it real estate so like how how long did it take to get a deal do you okay. remember that yeah so i got my license in january and okay. um i i don't remember exactly but i think within i would say three months i had my first deal and okay. um I, I went into an office with a lot of agents that had been around for a while. And back then what would happen is the newbies would come in and the agents that had been around, they'd kind of like pick who, if they wanted to like take you under their wing. Right. And luckily, um, I guess I was likable enough that, um, I actually did get two of the top agents to take me under their wing. Okay. So one of them would just, he, he would come in and, you know, agents that have been around for a while, they get a little bit, um, I don't want to say lazy, that's such a negative word, but they get a little bit like less incentivized mm -hmm. to, to do certain tasks that are necessary. Mm -hmm. So he would say, look, I got all these calls from this listing. I he didn't want to call him back because he didn't want to bother to do the filter. That's a hustle. So I'm like, I'll call him. So I called him back and I'm like, uh, this person, they want to go see this house. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. So I was converting people mm -hmm. and then he would take it because I didn't know what to do after that. Okay. So my first deal was actually, uh, and I think he was actually a little bit mad. He gave me the lead afterwards, but he still shared it. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I got lucky on that. And then on another one, uh, one of the other top agents that was a really big cold caller, he's actually still a big agent today and has a, has a, large team um, took me on and I was cold calling and I got a listing appointment, believe it or not, from this sweet little lady. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, look, I'll go with you because I didn't have a listing. I didn't have a presentation. I didn't know what to do whether after I booked the appointment. So he went with me and between the two of us, um, I think we offered a dynamic that she was comfortable with and we got the listing. It was overpriced and it didn't sell. I will say that. <laughs> but I got the listing, which was a huge ego boost. So then when you actually like sold your first property, was that, was it kind of easy or was it difficult? Like kind of talk about, cause you said that 
like when you had your first uh, client that the uh, the real estate agent kind of did all the work, right? And you kind of just got it right in the beginning. So like, what was the first deal where you kind of like did everything? So I did wind up having a college friend of mine who uh, called me out of the blue. She was the only person in my sphere that was actually in the position to purchase. Mm -hmm. uh, believe it or not, the only one. And thank goodness she called me and she was kind enough to give me that uh, honor. But um, she was like, we want to buy a condo. And um, so I helped her and her husband buy a condo. And then a year and a half later, they decided to move to San Diego. And I actually helped her sell it. So I would, I think she was actually my first or second deal, but my first listing that I did from start to finish by myself. Um, and uh, by the time I did it, I was ready. I learned a lot, but I'd also been doing it for about a year by the time I had my own first official listing by myself. Okay. And then when did you, because you're, you're a broker. And just so you know, that listing was $107,000. <laughs> really? Wow. And I just remember going like, I someday, I wish I had a $300,000 listing. That was like my big goal was to sell Burbank, the three to 400,000 range. And I had a condo, which was still respectable. And if, and if my friend's listening, I still appreciate you using me, you know, but you know, as agents, we look up to these million dollar agent listing people and we think, oh, it's so fabulous. But what you don't realize is that with every dollar that's added, mm -hmm. so does the pressure and so does the marketing dollars that you put behind it, quite mm -hmm. honestly. So it's a very complex business that people don't understand. And now it's everything like a million. I know, how, I know. At least here, right? Yeah. So anyone listening, we're in Los Angeles. Um, so yeah, the like prices here are kind of insane compared I, to other places. I know. I know, and it is sad when someone comes and they're like, "I want to buy a house," and if you can't at least do a million, you're like, "Oh well, let's see what let's see what we can scrape up for you." And it's so sad to me because it's a million dollars. It's a lot of money. It's really respectable to be able to afford a million dollars. Yeah, you know. But it winds up just being numbers when you're throwing it around and it, it's insane sometimes. Yeah. So, okay. So how then long into doing, like being a realtor, did you decide to be a broker and open your own brokerage? Like when did that happen? So I had an interesting journey here. So um, I think I already had premised that I had a child young. Mm -hmm. I got married. I wound up starting my family. And by the time I was... Um, I think by the time I was 29 years old, I had okay. three kids, mm -hmm. um, a minivan, I was getting divorced and I had to, had a total life meltdown crisis that I was like, oh my God, I'm 29. I have three kids. I drive a minivan. This is not my life. What is happening? I'm supposed to be cool, you know? So I had this And working full time too? Oh, yeah. At the okay. same time, I had I had a dance. I was starting a dance school at that time with some friends of mine pursuing my passion. Um, although I love real estate, I feel like I'm an artist at heart. Mm -hmm. And um, and I tried to protect that, plus being a mom. And I had to make some changes in my life because of my um, separation of my pending divorce. So I actually got my appraisal license. 
okay. at that time. And um, I stepped away from the selling side for over 10 years. And I did that intentionally because I really needed to be present for my kids and control my schedule more, which mm -hmm. wasn't possible. I don't know. I mean, I have many people have purchased a house or if they've been in real estate, but when you find it, you got to go, you have to be available. And I had, I had a five-year-old, I had a two and a half-year-old and I had a one-year-old. So, I mean, this was, they were, they were really keeping you me busy. To, yeah. yeah I didn't have, and that. there was no one to like take them. So I switched over and it honestly, it was the best thing I ever did. People would say, did you decide to become an appraiser because you make more money and it was a joke right they didn't know and I'm like no I became an appraiser because I needed to control my schedule and I needed to know that when I did something that I was going to get paid because in real estate there are a lot of jobs in real estate including processors and transaction coordinators and escrow and title nobody gets paid if the transaction doesn't go through mm -hmm. but the appraiser does Okay. You know, so that, so I, um, so I did appraising. People tried to talk me out of it. They said, it's never going to work. You're not going to be able to do it. And I had to sit down and really do soul searching. And I thought, you know what? I bet you it's hard to be an actor too. And I bet it's hard to have a screenplay or to, to become a professional. Everything's hard. So I just got on with it and I decided that it was going to happen because it was a do or die. I had three kids. I didn't have a choice. I wasn't going to go back and get my law degree. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I did it. And, you know, I feel like when you make that decision to jump that the net always appears. And I was actually introduced to, um, through my sphere, someone that had a mortgage company that I didn't even know they had a, that they had a mortgage company. This was someone in the real estate industry I hadn't met. Mm -hmm. And um, she's like, you really should meet uh, my friend. He owns a mortgage company. I'm like, okay, great. So I met him. He wound up being the number one lender in Burbank and um, so nice. He actually helped me build my career because I went to him um, after I we became friends and I said, look, um, will you use me if I become an appraiser? And he said, absolutely. And he allowed me to promote myself, which you could do at that time. It is different now. And I, I have to owe my whole career to him allowing me to do that, quite honestly. Um, we did have some ups and downs in that industry that crashed. It, it's subject to the market just like realtors are. But in the end, I always did it knowing that when my youngest was a certain age that I would come back into the market. Mm -hmm. And when I did, I decided I was going to get my broker's license. It was a natural transition. And then from there, just jump out on my own. So it was a journey. It was definitely a journey. So how long then has this brokerage been going then? So this brokerage was founded, oh gosh, you're holding me to dates. <laughs> I I live in the moment, Connor. I'm present. I'm kidding. Um, I think that officially Landon Realty Group was formed in 2018, okay. 2018. Um, and I became a broker, I believe, in 2000. 16, I believe. So I was a broker under another brokerage and then kind of decided when I was going to break away and then um, started from there. And what was the main motivation for like one, obviously your kids are older, so you have more time, right? But is it like 
was it to make more money? Was it to like challenge yourself, like a new adventure? What was kind of the motivation behind that? To go back into the sales side. Mm -hmm. So I always knew I wanted to. Um, I just knew I had to be intentional about it and be able to set myself up in order to dedicate the time. It was really the time. And so I kind of dipped my toes in slowly. I had a partner at first because I was really wanted to make sure that when I went back, I got to learn from everyone's mistakes that I saw, especially Mm -hmm. on the appraisal side. I made, I mean, the fact of what I learned on that, I mean, it's head and shoulders above like the normal realtor, no offense to realtors, but it's a whole nother vast area that you don't really get to dip your toes in unless you're actually in it. Um, So I got to watch everyone's mistakes and I decided I'm going to do this uh, my way when I go back in. And I did do it for two reasons. I wanted to prove to myself because I never really felt like I got to to finish what I started initially, I had to, I stopped because life kind of pivoted me in a new direction Mm -hmm. and I went into appraisals more out of necessity. Um, and second, because yeah, it's great money, you know, and I wanted to be able to make a certain amount to achieve certain, um, goals that I had in order to then do other things. Okay. So you mentioned a little earlier about the dance studio. So mm-hmm. was, and you said that was one of your big passions. So did you dance growing up? And is that kind of where that came from? Or what's the, the story behind the passion for dancing? Yeah, so um, at the young age of three, my mother put me in dance class like most little girls do. And mm-hmm. I danced until I graduated from high school. Um, I was okay. in a lot of uh, ballet programs. It was I did all forms, but ballet was my primary discipline. Um, I did a lot of dance competitions and um, I danced my whole life. And for me, I the blessing of it is it taught me discipline. It taught me failure and you get up anyways. And even when you think, um, and just for the mere fact of doing something just because you love it or in seeing things through. So it taught me a, um, grit and to be able to stand up anyways when, when things, when you think even if they're not going in your favor. So I, I think that really has contributed to my work ethic, 100%. And has that ever been a challenge for you, kind of balancing the dance studio with doing their appraisal stuff for like real estate has that been how does that <laughs> balance with that are you talking there's no balance there's no work-life balance like does it ever get in the way does one get in the way of the other did you have to learn how to kind of at least make it work maybe yeah. it's not maybe you're not balancing it right it's like it's crazy it's madness but was there a time where yeah. you struggled with that well it was a constant it was a constant balancing act and it's always triage like okay what's on fire where are you at um i mean at that time and i look back because i'm like someday i'm i'm gonna be able to come home and just have dinner like a normal person on a wednesday mm-hmm. and be done with work and that's never been me and when i look back at my whole trajectory of my life i'm like well even when i was out of college and i was gone from seven to midnight because i was doing so much it's like i haven't stopped um my goal is to slow down just so you know i don't and just there's no glory in working that much just so everyone knows i don't think it's glory it's just i'm a very determined person with very specific goals on a very specific timeline and so if you want to get it done you got to get it done Mm -hmm. um in that that case you know 
I was ferociously trying to hold on something that I loved for myself while sharing and doing everything else in my life for my family. You know, I, so maybe it was the selfish part of me saying, no, I love this and I'm, this is my part, but I also got to incorporate my children into it. My, I was my, my girl's teacher. So there was a balance in that, but not balance with sleep. I would, I worked into like, people would say, did you really email me at 2am? I'm like, don't worry about it. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I didn't watch TV for like 10 years. Yeah. There was no, yeah. None of that. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. So, and then is that, I guess, do you treat it like a business or is it just about the passion? Like, do you care if you're making money? Are you even making money? What's, that, I'm, what's the story? I'm so glad you asked that because, you know, one of the lessons that I've learned and I mm-hmm. would encourage anybody that is an artist, it's a double-edged sword because once you take something that you love so much that, you know, and you're like, oh, I love it so much, I would do it for free. Right, right, right. Be very careful of putting that in the universe because the universe is like, great, then you get to do it for free. And you you just manifested that. Mm-hmm. And because when I first started it, it was um, something that I really loved to do and I was doing it for my kids. Like, you know, the dad that that coaches soccer at ASO, that then it just kind of grows. And next thing you know, he's like, whoa, I'm doing all this and I'm still not getting really compensated in a way, someone that was intentionally making it a business. Um, so that would be my first thing. The second thing is, um, you know, when you start getting paid for something that you love that much and then you start depending on that income as well, that also sometimes chips away a little bit at, you know, you start making choices on your art that mm-hmm. maybe because you need the money versus because, you know, the trade-off because you're like, nope, this is my art. I don't care. Mm-hmm. You start to make, you know, choices like that. Um, but that's what happens when you have a business. I mean, you do have to create a business model and every business person will tell you while, you know, they, there's probably a lot that they love. There's a lot that they wish they didn't have to do because it just has to get done. So, so I just, I just caution anybody that goes into a field that they're that passionate about, you know, it does, it's kind of like working at Disneyland and then you see behind the scenes and you're like, Oh, I still like Disneyland, but that (laughs) kind of loses the sparkle. Right. Uh That's all. So you're like, Oh yeah, (laughs) you know, the truth. (laughs) So do you think then let's say you can make the money you're making in real estate with the dance studio would you even be doing real estate would you just focus on the dance studio or do you actually like real estate enough to where you would want to still do both you know what so i'm or did you even try maybe did you ever try to like make it the dance studio like a bigger thing to where you could just do that for work so so in all fairness the the goal with the dance school and we Mm -hmm. also had a nonprofit production company at the same time so we had these two um and and a summer camp and all kinds of things that we had done it was the dream was always to get it to a place where it could sustain me and my business partners financially so we wouldn't have to do anything else mm-hmm. but the reality is um and the sad part in arts and in that field in general it's it is it's struggle 
to because it's expensive and mm. just living in Los Angeles and the cost of overhead. I'm not saying it can't be done. It I I absolutely can. It's just a challenge. So um, I would I be doing it now? I I would have to say where I'm at now. I I don't think I I think I'm done. I I did it for 14 years, mm -hmm. so I think I ran my course. Um, I always said I would go back and teach again. I wouldn't want to be the owner. I'm I'm kind of in student mode again when it comes to my my, my artistic side of my life, mm -hmm. and so I I'm really enjoying being the student and not having to be in the front and be mm -hmm. the leader and enjoying it but so I, I think I'm I'm at this point I'd have to say no I think I'm good so do you think then let's say you never did it and didn't have that passion would you do you feel like something would be lacking in your life for all that time or do you like you think you needed that in your life oh it kept me from crazy okay. because I think my personality I'm so type a and like I can't leave until everything is off my desk you know I can't have to and that it's like I don't know how many people do this but like you're like oh good I got through all my emails I'm ready to go and then someone sends you an email mm -hmm. I can't ignore it I'm like ah and so I have to sit and like tell and I have to hurry up and turn it off before someone sends me a new email because I'll be stuck there you know um so so it having that like complete change to break me away from that because mm -hmm. I had students waiting I had to I was like well it has to wait it has to wait I think I would have been even more miserable because it wouldn't have given me a creative outlet that given me that breath. So it was, um, and every time I would leave from teaching, I feel so good. So I think it saved me, especially during my divorce. So the passion was teaching dance, not necessarily just dancing. Correct. You okay. know, it's, I love the dance. I love the art form, but it was also connecting with my students. They are actually the, you know, part of that whole equation that really balanced me, you know, the connection that you feel when you work in an office or we're behind our computers or I'm driving all day because doing appraisals, it's very um, autonomous. I mean, you're lonely. I mean, you go to the house, you might say hi to the owner and then you go home. I got to go and connect and create with with these beautiful souls these young children that are so innocent and amazing and um yeah it was it, it fed me it fed me spiritually and emotionally for sure okay so now i kind of want to go back to when you're younger were you always like how would you describe yourself were you confident were you shy like what what were you like as a young child mm -hmm. like even just like like think middle school like high school around then because oh. like to me now you seem like like you're a go-getter right like you don't you're, you seem confident you go after what you want there doesn't seem to really be doubt so were you always like that or did you have to kind of develop that so i I've been doing a lot of thinking about this whole, are we a product of our environment, environment mm -hmm. or how is it that people, how is it that our personalities are developed that we feel like we can have that for ourselves or that we even imagine it? For example, I remember when I watched um, an interview of Elon Musk for the first time and I it ended and I I couldn't even close my mouth. And I'm like, oh my God, I think too small. 
That's what I thought because his thinking was so big. And the whole time I'm listening to him, like his, he, and he did not doubt himself. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm thinking too small. But then at the same time, like, that's like a lot of work. <laughs> I'm like, do I really want that headache? But irrespective of you want the headache, the fact is I didn't even allow myself to go there. Mm-hmm. And and I know sometimes people look at me and they think the same thing. Like, who told her she could have a brokerage? Or who told her she could just start a dance school? Or who told her she could start a production company and invite 5,000 kids to come. And I remember looking at my business partner one time at our very first time that we were having this uh, school show and all these kids are coming in this auditorium and there's like 3,000 kids. And I looked at her and I go, who gave us permission to do this? Like, the, like, what are we doing? And it's like this exhilarating feeling. And if I have to go backwards to see like, why did I just do it? Undoubtedly, it is my parents. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs. They are, my dad owned his own business. In fact, he, um, he I would be embarrassed sometimes going places with him because he would do whatever he wanted. Like my dad would go to a restaurant and decide to walk through the kitchen. And I'm like, dad, <laughs> he's like, well, I'm going to take a shortcut to the parking lot. And I'm like, dad. And he's like, I don't care. He does what he wanted. And he's like, what are they going to do? Put me in kitchen police, whatever, uh-huh. whatever. And like they would stare at him and it wasn't like he would cook the food or anything, but he just did what he wanted and he didn't have any apologies for it. And, and so I think that brassness, now he was extreme. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be that brassy. Mm-hmm. Um, but just where he just did, we wanted and took it. And, um, you know, he'd be like, I'm going to get that lot and I'm going to build a house. And I'd be like, and we're like, okay. So like nothing was out of the question, you know, as far as in my reality as a child, he decided he wanted to become a pilot. He got a pilot license and he started flying us. He decided he wanted to learn Spanish. He learned Spanish. And I don't know where he got it from, to be honest with you, uh, just knowing his background, other than he was the youngest of 10 kids. So he got to watch nine siblings do and accomplish different things. Mm-hmm. That's all I can think of. But so having that instilled in me in the young age, that um, confidence of you want something, go get it. Nothing is off limits. And then my mother, who also started her own business and bought a home and was one of the first women to probably even buy a home, honestly, looking back. Um, And she just did it. So I think when it comes to certain things in business, I definitely got it from them. Unfortunately, I also inherited probably some of their limitations as well as, you know, you can do this, but be safe. You know, don't be do it, but don't get too crazy, you know, and, and there's limitations in that way. Whereas my dad wouldn't have tried to build a tunnel from uh, Brentwood to uh, to his factory. <laughs> well, maybe he would have. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> so that's interesting because, like you said, he was very entrepreneurial. But then it seems like you were on the traditional route where you went to USC went to a good college and then you were going the like white collar route where you moved to DC, you're working for a congressman and you hate it. So was he like, when you talked to him about that, was he, was he encouraging? Did he understand? Was he like, what are you doing? Like you need to stay there and keep working. Like, what was that like? 
You know, that's that's actually a good question. So by the time I did go, my uh, dad had actually passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. okay. It's okay. Um, it was a long time ago. It was all good. But before when I went to USC uh -huh. and I told him, Dad, I'm I'm gonna I wanna be a lawyer. And he's like, Lawyer? Why don't you be a doctor? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and he's and he'd always try to talk me. I'm like, Dad, I don't wanna be a doctor. Like, I don't like needles, Dad. You should be a doctor. Doctors are better. Like he so, saw it as lawyers because in his as being a businessman, lawyers are who sued you. Lawyers yeah. were jerks. Lawyers were liars. Lawyers were not like they didn't do anything good because he was in court a lot. We don't need to go into that. But um, but the doctors were the saviors, right? And so he kind of grunted at my choices. Mm -hmm. um, he never he. But I think just because of the relationship we had and and knowing that he knew I was going to do what I wanted to do in the end. And I did it on my own. I didn't have a lot of financial support from my parents. Mm -hmm. He just kind of like, I was the, his youngest girl. He was tired. He was like, do what you want, whatever. <laughs> we didn't try to talk me out of it other than saying doctors are better. <laughs> but was there any pressure ever like encouragement to start a business since he was entrepreneurial because uh, you know, that's interesting that he kind of wanted more more stability for you it seems right you know you would think that he would uh -huh. um and i think that doctors sounded stable to him okay. um he, so he was in contracting and um maybe this is where the limitations come in play other than building properties and owning properties and some rentals, he, he um, I don't want to throw him on the bus, but he was a little sexist. And so I don't ever think he thought of me following in his path in any capacity because I was a girl. But he expected all of his sons to work for him and uh, to be in his business. So I got off the hook uh -huh. of being uh, pulled into his world because, mm -hmm. oh, girls don't go to job sites and girls stay home and they look pretty and they clean the house, which is something I've been also probably proving myself against all these years of like, I'm a girl and I can do it, damn it. <laughs> so do you think that's a big thing for you though? That oh, motivates you? Big time. Big, big time. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. It's... And were you hearing that from your dad like at a very young age or was that more when you were older, like high school, kind of college? Uh, like, was that really ingrained in oh, you? Oh, yeah. Was, Girls, okay. don't worry. You're a girl. You don't have to do it. And mm -hmm. I was like, but wait a minute, I can do this. And so I think that probably is another part of this, like maybe chip on my shoulder to prove myself and mm -hmm. to really work hard because no one ever expected me to because, but you're a girl. <laughs> and it's terrible and i don't agree with it unfortunately there's a huge generation of of uh people that are raised that way though mm -hmm. you know they just he didn't even expect it of me yeah that's interesting but then would you would you have changed that though because like you said it kind of gave you a chip on your shoulder and you are where you are today probably because of that to an extent. So would you change that? I wouldn't change it only for the reason that it gave me freedom because I wasn't under his radar so much. He didn't, I got to kind of fly and do my own thing. Mm -hmm. um, not to say he wouldn't express his opinion, but then, you know, he would leave me alone and go refocus. So on the boys. So I think the boys had it worse. <laughs> So I want to go back then to, you said a little bit earlier, 
you're 29, three kids, getting divorced. Mm -hmm. Would you have any advice for that 29 year old today, knowing what you know now and how it all turned out, or what did it kind of like work out? Oh boy! Any like cheat codes? (laughs) What would you say? So, I would tell her um, that um, wow, you have a long ways to go, but don't be discouraged. The best is still yet to come. You haven't even started yet. You're still, I was still in school, like life school Mm -hmm. in the basis. And I would encourage everybody in their 20s to not even rush. And if I had any advice that and I can't even take credit for it. I have to give it to Gary V. If you guys know Gary V, I, we all love him. But he actually helped me parenting wise, even look at my own kids who were getting ready to graduate high school and going into college. He's He was talking about a parent that's like, my kid is 22 and they don't have their life together. And I'm just like, they're 22. Like, what's wrong with you? And... I had to take pause on that again, kind of like when I listened to the Elon Musk interview and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's so right. They're so young and they don't even know who they are. So like, give them a break for a minute. You know, I'm in the fortunate enough to be in an economic position to be able to help my kids have that opportunity. I would have loved to have uh, that opportunity with, as a 22-year-old. I didn't because my family, if you weren't at home doing certain things, you didn't get any of the booty, okay? <laughs> so you flew the nest, you were on your own, and I wanted freedom. So there's a price for freedom. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say you don't know who you are. And life, my life, I didn't even figure out or feel like I was an adult until I was 36. Honestly, even I, having the three kids, I, and, and it's so. And I had a teenager, and finally, I woke up one day, and I was like, "I'm," I like felt like I got this, like I know who I am. That whole time, I was like in life school. So don't worry about it. That's my advice. Learn everything, try everything, but use your own intuition and your own judgment. And if you know a decision is not right for you or is right for you, don't listen to anybody else. And it's okay to change your mind. Change it a thousand times. Just know the consequence of changing it and don't be mad when you're like, oh, it took me 50 changes to make here, get here, so now I'm at square one. Own it it, and just move forward, right? Mm -hmm. Just understand that. So was there a catalyst when you were 36 where you felt like an adult? Was there something that happened or did you just kind of like, oh, I think I just like had an expansion where I just looked around. And I'm like, wow, I got this. This is what it means like to be adulting. Mm-hmm. Adulting's hard. Mm-hmm. And and it's not like, oh, you're 21, you're an adult. And that isn't it. You know, I think it's just an awareness where you're like, I got this down. I know what I'm doing. I know what decisions to make. I know how to take care of myself. I know that no matter what happens, I can figure it out. I think that is the tipping point. No matter what happens, you know that you can bounce back and you can handle anything. So that came when you were 36, mm-hmm. that confidence, mm-hmm. the feeling that way. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, what, start over? What, again? I've done that. 
<laughs> doesn't scare me. So that brings up, so you mentioned briefly 0708, right? That financial yep. collapse. Mm-hmm. That was all the mortgage industry. Yep. And you're doing appraisals. Oh my gosh. So was yes. that, how was that for you? Was it like, oh, I'm not making money now all of a sudden and I have to like figure out what I'm going to do? Or were you like, kind of, did you have like kind of a buffer where you had like savings where you could kind of figure it out? Or what was that like? Was that really tough? So um, it was, I, I was one of the lucky ones that didn't go bankrupt, quite okay. honestly. So at the time, when I was 29, I was about to get a divorce. My husband and I actually reconciled. Okay. So we wound up not getting divorced, but we're separated for several years. It doesn't matter if you get divorced or not. You even file the paperwork and go there. It causes financial distress. Okay. So we were just kind of getting our bearings back from that. Um, he was in the real estate industry too. He was a, he's a, was a realtor. I was, had my appraisal company and I was cranking. I was, we were so busy. I had 12 appraisers working for me and my company all over Southern California. We were probably easily doing 50 to 60 appraisals a week, Mm -hmm. easily Mm -hmm. overnight, all gone, gone. And I'm, and we're looking around going, what I mean, we knew it was coming, but we didn't know how severe the impact was going to be because nobody knew what to do because a new, a whole new set of rules came into place that was able that made it a that actually hindered us to be able to even receive um, an appraisal. So what happened is lenders didn't know what to do either, and so they all stopped. And then the market started trickling down. And this was for the appraisal side. The market was already starting to slow down from the meltdown, but then new lending guidelines came in that stopped appraisals just by itself, okay? It took probably three to four months before we it slowly came back. But in the meantime, I had to go back to basics. I had to let every single one of my appraisers go. Wow. I had to... Um, I even let go of my, my assistant. I went back to myself and doing the traditional, what I did before. Luckily, I had a lot of, um, I had a segment of my, uh, diversified my clientele that was not lender related. It was attorneys. Mm -hmm. And at the time it was bankruptcies. So I was doing bankruptcy valuations. And if you look backwards, there was so many bankruptcies filed at that time because people were doing short sales and that saved me. Like you have no idea. So I went back and then, you know, miraculously over time, I actually wound up rebuilding and adding people as needed. Um, never got to that crazy point as, as that was, but um, but did expand again. But yeah, it was bad. That's interesting. So did you recognize that pivot right away from appraisals to bankruptcy or did that take time? Because that's so, actually very like smart because you could have also just gone back to, I mean, obviously, probably not going to sell houses during that time either. Right. But it is always an option where maybe it's a little bit better if you're like trying to sell or sell houses, I guess. Yeah. People would potentially need to sell their houses. So it wouldn't be need a realtor. Right. So yeah, you could yes. have done that too. The market was restricted though. So okay. my husband or my soon to be, cause then we did actually get divorced soon uh-huh. after, uh, financial stress always incites divorce too. So, um, 
So no, selling really wasn't an option. I just, I was like, had to tell my appraisers, I, I don't have anything to give you. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, there's nothing for me to even do to keep you. They all went and dispersed and some of them got out of the industries, some went other places. Um, and I was lucky enough to have been introduced to these uh, attorneys who then started referring me because I did really good work and was responsive unlike a lot of appraisers that don't know how to market themselves, the skill set that I had as a realtor in customer service and communication, that set me apart as an appraiser because they didn't do that. They mm-hmm. A lot of times they're, they take the order, they never want to talk to you mm-hmm. because that is not the traditional personality of an appraiser. So I used that and I, I, I'm not even kidding, I, I wound up um, doing just fine and building it back up. I'm not to say that I didn't um, take a hit, but I survived where majority of appraisers, they went bankrupt or out of the business. Okay. So, but recognizing pivots and diversifying your business is is a strategy and a, and something that I encourage any entrepreneur to to get real sooner. So many times in my business, I'm like, why didn't I see that coming? And I think a lot of times we get so comfortable and we're like, but it's really good. How could it end? You know, and, and, you know, the thing is, is everything shifts eventually. Mm-hmm. And, and that is why moving forward, I was adamant about having a diversified business in every, everything that I did. Okay. We don't, that's, that's why even when you get your, you know, insurance or liability insurance, they want to know it all, you know, as far as your clientele goes, do you have one client that gives you all your work? Because mm-hmm. if they go under, you're sunk, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I've always been really careful then to try to diversify and do more than one thing. Um, and it, it's, you know, important in every business, but, co- but in a collaborative way that, that feeds the other, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to have a car dealership and then, you know, have a puppy watching business or something. <laughs> so then before you started the brokerage, you already had the dance going, right? Mm-hmm. And then you already had a business for their appraisals and then kind of like, you know, bankruptcy and all that. So then was it really easy to start a brokerage because you've already ran businesses where you've had employees? Was it kind of just like you just are going to do something else now or how? what was that like for you? Brokerage is hard. Okay. Um, and when I first did the brokerage, I never did it with the intention of bringing on other agents. Really? Okay. No, I just like, I'm a broker. I'm going to do What's the benefit to just doing that potentially? Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't you just stay as a realtor? Uh, say as a realtor and instead just of just not instead of being a because you said you became a broker and you're just going to be a broker and like have no right people under you so what's the is there an advantage to doing that as opposed to just keeping your real estate license it's a lot less lonely okay. <laughs> honestly i you know so think back i hear i'm a dance teacher mm-hmm. you know i love to mentor i love to teach i love to watch people grow mm-hmm. so i could sit here and i could you know make all my own money and sit in my money and be by myself but that isn't fun you know and real estate is 24 7 it's a 
exhausting, especially if you are really putting 110% into it. And I'd much rather share the pie with a group of people that inspire me and that make it fun to come to work to every, every day than to keep it all to myself and work myself into a dizzy. Mm -hmm. I'd like to work less and share and have more scale. So it just makes more sense to me. So that's why, because I love collaboration. I love people. I don't, that's, that's why I decided to do it, but I have a small tight knit team mm -hmm. and, um, and I just love them. Mm -hmm. So kind of looking at today then, has it been, cause obviously the economy hasn't been great. Has it kind of slowed down lately or is it still, I mean, cause I think LA too is a, very unique market where it probably is still things are still going pretty good as opposed to if you're probably in a different state it probably might slow down a lot more right so what's that been like the last year and a half la is so unique in so many ways because mm -hmm. there are markets within markets uh, we have such a diverse i mean you look and you're like, okay, you can buy a condo for $100,000 in one part of the Valley County. And then you have the most expensive home in Malibu or, you know, Beverly Hills and, you know, Brentwood right here. It's, it's crazy. You mm. know, the diversity is just insane. Um, we have experienced the, the shift just like everybody else and it's still coming and it's not over with. And last year when it started to come and I was in denial a little bit, I'm like, no, I don't want it to come. I know this is going to hurt. I've been, you know, we've done that before. Done that. So, um, but the reality is you have to, you have to brace for it and be smart putting your head in the sand isn't going to make it go away. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we started to reorganize way, um, you know, all of our expenses and more intensely really reorganize how we're doing our business, um, and going deeper rather than wide. Um, and to be honest with you, going back to basics mm -hmm. more than ever. No, you know, all the gimmicky, all that other stuff, it's not going to matter. Mm -hmm. People want People want real. So when you started to see that things were kind of trending in a bad direction, do you think then like back to 07, 08 and like you lived through that and you were in the actual industry where it was really bad? And so are you kind of then planning like if something like that happens again? I mean, maybe you're not even thinking like that's going to get that extreme now, but are you thinking of that at all and like planning ahead? How so, does that work? Well, so now in my this point in my career, mm -hmm. um, uh, in the last few years, I've also become an investor myself. Okay, I have rental properties. I also um, I've done I participated in in flipping properties. I hate mm -hmm. that word, but you know, <laughs> regentrifying properties. Yeah, yeah, I know. So um, you know, so I diversified my business in that sense, and some of those income streams that were really lucrative, you know, I'm not pursuing anymore i'm like no we're not gonna do this i you know uh, the risk isn't the the reward really doesn't outweigh the risk at this time mm -hmm. given that and this is a appraiser you know i'm not completely confident in some of the timing and i'm not really willing to invest some of my money in in certain things i mean unless it's such a slam dunk but those aren't that easy to find anymore mm -hmm. right every investor has their different threshold of you know what they feel is worth it to them it's personal um, uh, so, but getting back to just the pivot point with 
with the diversifying, um, how, what did you, what was the question again? Cause I got off on my tangent. I was listening. Um, <laughs> oh, I asked if because you lived through 07 and 08 and experienced that, it was basically like, are you thinking of that happening now? Like how far ahead are you thinking? And then you kind of mentioned how you diverse you you diversified your portfolio yes. into like properties and all right. of that and then doing some house flips. So and, am I optimistic? So like I, it sounds like though, I guess is there anything you're doing? I, I guess you kind of already mentioned it as far as just the brokerage itself. I guess you did mention you're kind of restructured how things work and you're not doing the like cookie cutter stuff. So is that kind of, you have recognized that you needed to change stuff and you've just been doing it and it's kind of, is there anything else that you need to do in the future or you kind of, you think you're in a good place? So what I've decided as far as my company goes, how we've uh, decided to react to what's happening mm -hmm. is, you know, I've scaled down on, on who, on, on just the, our team in general. Mm -hmm. And so I can actually have a lot more hands on with them to mm -hmm. make sure that they have the skill set and the support they need because newer agents are going to need a lot more support. Mm -hmm. This is not a market for rookies, you know, not to say you can't be a rookie, but you're going to need to have a mentor there and mm -hmm. you're going to need, you can't wing it in this market. How about that? You have to educate yourself and you have to do the extra work. Also, the other thing that we're, I'm telling my, my newer agents that are just up and coming is, you know, whatever you saw agents do in the last year, you're going to have to double and triple that. So just get over it. You know, don't be sad about it. Don't be angry about it. Just get to work because as the, far as the cold calling, uh, and as the, far like, as list and, everything, the work uh, part, the everything hard, the down and yep. in the gutter. Okay. Where it might've taken 10 people to talk to in order to, you know, find a transaction. You might need to talk to 30 now, but mm -hmm. here's the beauty in that. This are where like stars are born. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because once you go through a market like this, the skill set, you're going to be a better agent. You're, it's just going to make you better on the other side. That's like saying, oh my gosh, you know, I wanted to go row the river, but it's like storming and there's so many ways. You learn to row through the storm, you know, when it's clear, you can be like, what? This is so easy. Or like, say you're, you're running and you have weights on your ankles and then you take off the ankle weights and you're like, wow, I feel so light. This is like this, what, you know, you can go so much faster. So, you know, instead of like getting upset about it, accepting it. And the one thing that I will say is there's opportunity in every market. You, you want to think there isn't? Look what COVID happened. You think there was not opportunity with people selling COVID tests and doing testing? Those mm -hmm. people made so much money. Mm -hmm. So our job is to sit down and look and say, okay, where is the need? Instead of saying the market needs to come to me, we are supposed to be serving the market. Mm -hmm. We need to find it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever read um, Who Moved My Cheese? Not. What is that? Okay. Number one, recommend. Mm -hmm. I, I read a lot of books. It's okay. called Who Moved My Cheese. I'm not going to give it away, but it's a cute story. You can listen to it on Audible for it takes about an hour. <laughs> but if anybody's in business or um, even if you're not, even if you work in a corporation and you're trying to work yourself up the ladder, I would say that is a number one recommend. You have, it's a great moral of the story. Okay. 
So that's, um, I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away too much. The title says a lot. I'll look it up. But it, it does come down to people's expectation of, you know, they get so used to being fed by something that they feel is certain. And when it moves, you know, you have different personalities that are like, well, that's not supposed to be this way. And they get upset versus the people that are like, oh, I guess it changed, so I need to change, versus the people that are like, you know, we might want to learn some other different tax tactics in the off chance it changes so we can pivot. Mm -hmm. And in business, you need to be the person that can pivot. You don't want to get stuck expecting someone to keep bringing you cheese. <laughs> so going along with the think bigger idea, because you mentioned that earlier, mm -hmm. it seems in the stage of your life now is you have the brokerage and there's that you can build that, but now you also have, you're an investor and you have properties. Mm -hmm. So are you trying to grow both of them or are you is kind of, cause I, to me, the ultimate is more the investor when it comes to real estate. It's like having the money to buy apartment buildings or if you want to do commercial right and that seems to be like the end goal so is that your end goal to where you have a bunch of different property and you can just kind of be an investor and kind of take your foot off the brake a little bit more kind of how you mentioned you kind of want to start taking right taking some time mm -hmm. so is that the is that the final goal for you or is what is what do you think? You know, we'll have to see. I mean, I, I do see myself maybe slowing down in production. My goal is in the next five years. I've mm -hmm. worked a lot of hours for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I do love the investing as well. If it's uh, right now, we're in a weird transition in the market where I'm not really excited about rentals right now because the city of LA rent control. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to get into that whole platform today. Um, so I, I'm. I'm kind of like the mouse that's right now trying to find what is the what is the door that I'm not seeing in the room because everything's changed and it's foggy now and it's like okay there's opportunity there's opportunity I know there is I just don't think I I've I've uh, been able to identify it precisely yet mm -hmm. um, and when that does that'll be you know my next step do I love real estate I love real estate I love um, making things beautiful and and uh, you know adding to the community you know a lot of times people look at people and say oh flippers and I don't know if it's just because they're all a little bit resentful because they're like damn I would do that if I could here's the thing I just want to give a reality check because I feel like it needs to be said and it's not said enough. Mm -hmm. These people are buying a property, usually non-contingent, meaning that they can't get out of it once they make their commitment and they don't know what they're buying. They usually don't even get to really do an inspection. Okay. They have to hope, they have to hope that they can get everything done in the time frame that they want to for the price that they think that it can be done at and that the market doesn't change. Right. And then they also have to hope that the city approves whatever it is and not delay them longer. Mm -hmm. There is so much risk that people don't even understand in this process that they're super brave. And they're usually taking these properties that a normal first time buyer would never have the money, time or expertise to uh, 
to correct and to rehab because it's expensive and it takes time and you can't live in these properties while you're doing it. So while yes, I know that a lot of people like look, oh, it's a flip. They're actually making the neighborhood nicer. They're holding property values and they're taking all of the risk for everyone else. So, you know, before you hate them, you know, um, you know, just realize that there is a lot on the other side of that. So I actually, you know, we need them, whether we like it or not. We do. Because most homeowners, they can't. They don't have the funds. Mm -hmm. They just don't. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give a little shout out to our investors in that way. <laughs> so you talked earlier about Elon Musk, mm -hmm. Gary V, mm -hmm. Thinking Big, right? There's someone you haven't mentioned who we have to talk about, I think. But can you tell people who Tom Ferry is oh, and kind of sure. your your whole thing with that? Yeah, so I did coaching for a long time with Tom Ferry. Mm -hmm. I'm a really big advocate. Who and, is he? So Tom Ferry, that? he's a real estate coach. Mm -hmm. um, and he he's instrumental because um, I, uh, he has, he's able to have a network of people and that, and he takes all the information from, you know, all these big corporate leaders from lenders to real estate professionals. He's talking to the average realtor all over the United States and beyond actually. And um, he helps boil it down in, and, and, really identify like what we should be doing in the market right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and because he has a lot of those inside tracks. So I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, I think that he's a real industry leader. He's a innovative, he's fearless, you know, uh, definitely. So I would say definitely, um, a great, uh, mentor in that sense for hands down. So yeah, I wanted to bring him up because you mentioned mentors and you even mentioned in at least in the LA market in real estate, you do need a mentor, you think, because it's a it's a big market, right? So do you think a mentor is an important ingredient to success in anything you do? A thousand percent, but I think it can be a couple different ways. Okay. So I think we have to before you can even accomplish what you're accomplishing, and this is what's so beautiful about the podcast that you're doing, is you have to know it's possible for you. Mm -hmm. If you, that's how you manifest. If you think, you know, you look at someone on TV and you're like, wow, that seems nice. They have a yacht, but that's, there's not possible for me, or you don't even see how that could be. You will never be able to achieve that you have to know it's possible. So the wonderful thing that happens like in these type of situations is someone might be able to identify with me and say, wow, she had three kids. I thought with having three kids, I wouldn't be able to do real estate. Or, you know, she was divorced twice. And the first time it's twice the same guy. It's like, okay, yeah, no, I don't have it all going on. Like people look at me and they think, oh, but you're Jen. And I'm like, are you kidding? I have my own hot mess over here. You mm -hmm. know, the difference is I don't allow it to, um, I don't, I don't allow it to stop me. Like I use it to fuel me forward instead of keeping me in bed. Like I always used to say, I, I don't have the luxury of laying in bed and crying and commiserating about all my problems. Cause I, you know, I want to get up and I want to try to fix them and I have to have a good life for my children. So mm -hmm. they are actually my ammunition that has kept me going all these years because I felt like they deserved it. 
um, more than anything. So, um, so, but getting back to the mentor, I, you know, you have to have someone and having someone in your, your sphere is super important. Someone that's tangible that you can talk to, that you can bounce ideas off a thousand percent, especially in the first four years of real estate, if you're going to, or anything, to be honest with you, anything that you're going to do. But you also want to have that person that you identify with because your mentor might not be someone that you personally identify with. It might be, you know, someone that you just has the knowledge, but maybe you don't think they had your same path. Someone on your path. So I had someone that I idolized that I, I still have never really met in person. Mm-hmm. I've met her daughter and she was, she's a luxury agent. She's still around. She's in LA. And I decided one day I was at, um, I was at the theater and I opened my theater bill. I'm a big theater person. Cause of course I dance. Mm-hmm. And it was at like the Amundsen or some amazing theater. Right. And she had a full page ad. And I was like, oh my God, how much was this? She's sponsoring the Amundsen? <laughs> I was like, what? This is nuts. Mm-hmm. And so already I was intrigued by her because a weird fate of coincidence, I actually had met her daughter like six months before on an appraisal. And um, I was doing an appraisal and she's like, oh, I'm so-and-so's daughter. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know who she is. She's the top agent, luxury agent, like superstar. And I was like, well, you know, tell me what's it like, what is her secret? What's her secret? And um, and she said, well, there is no secret. You just have to answer the phone. And uh, agents don't like to answer the phone. Okay. She, that was her big secret, but they told me her story, which I didn't know. She was a single mom. I could relate to that. Uh, Unlike me, she didn't go to college. She was a waitress in Beverly Hills and she got into real estate and she was really good connecting with people. And I was like, oh my God, here's someone that is selling properties to these high net worth individuals that have gone to Harvard, gone to Yale. I mean, I mean, world traveling people with multiple homes selling $60 million. Just so you guys know, selling a $60 million home is really hard. It's really hard. It's, I'm not, it's very specific. So you think the higher the price tag, just with every dollar, it gets harder. Anyway. Because there's less people that can buy it, right? You have to find the person. And the higher the price point, the more specific. Because those type of people, they could just build it. Mm -hmm. They could just build it. So why would they even buy it? So there's a whole nother set of di- uh, set of uh, tr- problems there. But getting back to the, to the story of her, she was a single mom. She was a waitress. She worked her way up. And it was something that I could really relate to. And I said to myself, oh, my gosh, if, this, if a waitress with less background than I had can make it in an industry like this, I want to be in the the industry that that is. Um, And I made it my intention to go after that industry because I never gave myself permission prior to that to even thinking it was possible. Mm -hmm. I was just going to stay in my little area that I'd always worked in and just continue to sell. And it actually, she expanded me into the allowing the possibility of selling that higher price point. And guess what? I did. I wound up getting an $8 million listing. I know. And I am now jumped up into the price point of over 3 million, which think about it in the beginning, I was just trying to get a (laughs) $300,000. Right. So 
So as far as the mentor goes, yes, it's important to have a teacher, someone that is teaching you the ropes, but you really need to find someone that you relate to that can show you that it's possible. Those people, you hold on to them. Even if you never meet them, it doesn't matter. They need to be on your mirror and that you need to have them there pulling you towards your goal too. It That is so important. Okay. So we just talked about mentors. Mm-hmm. What's advice for someone that wants to get into real estate? What do you think? What would you say? Mm. Like as a, as an agent? <laughs> Run. No, I'm Run. kidding. <laughs> um, I would tell them just like, actually, it doesn't matter what you're getting into. I think you have to really think about the intention of why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, Recently, my niece um, decided to get into real estate and join my team. And I was a little bit off-putting when she's like, I want to contact you. And I was like, oh. And I felt bad because I, I I know her so well. I'm like, I don't know if you're cut out for this. I, you know, you get irritated. Someone's get you're going to like not like people or something. And you, that really isn't fair. And so I had to kind of like cut that and let her make her own decision, but still be honest without talking her out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't, just like every industry, it's not for everyone. And that's okay because it's not supposed to be. We're all different. But I would say get really clear about why. Your why and your intention has to be there because it's I don't I think we're at a time in just the the collective universe in general, as far as careers go. Um it your intention and your motivation being interested isn't enough anymore. Like you're like, Oh, I think I'm going to do this. Or I think I'm going to do this. I'm interested. It's okay to play, but you have to commit to actually make any progress in anything like 110% because things are more focused and, um, just more, um, just the depth of knowledge that you have to have in most industries now you know, at a certain point, you got to go all in. Mm -hmm. So, so I would say get super clear on your intention. And then once you get super unclear on your intention and what you want from it, um, align yourself with the best people possible to help you get there. Okay. So that's a good segue then to, because at the beginning of this, you said you've kind of always been figuring it out. And even today, you don't feel like you figured it out. Right. I think, and I know for me, this is, this hits home. It's like, you don't really, I think a lot of people struggle with finding the thing they're interested in or like really passionate about. And it sounds like, or just like feel like they have to figure out life mm-hmm. and they haven't, right? And it seems like, like you said, you've kind of always felt that way, but you've always been doing things still. Like you're still going forward, right? And I think for a lot of people, myself included, it's like you kind of just get stagnant and you're so in your head about, oh, should I try this or shouldn't I try this? Well, what if I do this and it, I hate it? And then it's like I spent another, you know, five years doing this and I still don't know what I want to do. So what's your advice? Do you have any advice for people that struggle with that? What would you say? You know, I'll, so many people do. And mm-hmm. I think that vacillation, that, ah, do I jump in the pool? Do I not? It keeps you, it keeps you on the sidelines, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get to enjoy anything. Mm-hmm. So my, again, I give everyone permission to go 110% into anything and like give it and give it all you got. 
and at the end of the day, still change your mind. It's okay. But you're never going to know if it's what you really want unless you actually get in and get wet. You know, mm -hmm. dipping your toes in is not the same as swimming, right? It's not the same experience. Um, so you have to go all in. I, um, when I, when I was single and I was dating, I had met this, this, uh, young man in New York city who was retired at the age of 31. Wow. And he was a multimillionaire and he had just got back from traveling around the world, took a whole year off to travel around the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was fascinated by him because he was actually a little bit younger than me and he was so wildly successful and he seemed to really genuinely, he was super confident and he was generally happy, you know? And I asked him, um, I was like, so, uh, what is it? Like what? It? And he's like 110%. He's like, have you noticed like everything he did, he did it full out without expectation of even what he'd get in return. He just did it all the way and then some. So what I even tell my, my agents, for me, some of the most successful people I know and, and specifically in the real estate field in sales, cause it can be, it's, it can be hard on your heart. Cause you're like, I'm trying, I'm trying. I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere sometimes. Um, but ask that to an actor or actress too, right? Or a musician, um, is there's no plan B. You know, when you give yourself an option for an out or a cop out where you're like, well, I'll do this. And, but if I don't, I'm going to go back to doing this. You actually set yourself up for failure because you're not really taking away that safety net that makes you go all in and stay the extra hour because you're like, oh my God, I have to make this work. When you're the, oh my God, I have to make this work, you will do, it's not a question of, do I want to make one more call? You're like, I'm making my calls until I get a deal because that don't, either that or I don't pay rent it's yeah, or whatever it is that you, that you need. So that mentality, when you're an entrepreneur or you're especially new in the business, you have to earn the privilege to take a day off, or you have to earn the privilege to say, you know, what, I don't want to make that call because I know I've done so much pedaling already that my boat is still going to go, or I know I can let off a little bit and we're still going to cruise. It's okay. Or I've diversified enough that I have something else coming in. But nobody, sometimes, not nobody, I shouldn't say that. A lot of times people that are coming in specifically to this industry, they think it's sexy and they think, oh, it's so easy. It's like, no, no, it's not. You know, you put in the work, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. But, you know, the first four years, it's gritty. You have to put it in and earn that privilege to take your foot off the gas. And it will happen though. It's a beautiful thing. And you almost don't, you're like, oh my gosh, did that just fall in my lap? How did that come so easy? And all of a sudden you're like looking around wondering how it happened and then it happens more. So. So going off of that, there seems to be two buckets with your life from what I've heard where the one bucket's passion and you got that with the, the dancing, right? And having mm -hmm. your own business there. And then you've mentioned a few times about you needing to think bigger and really go after it. And to me, to kind of just sum that up is like the pursuit of excellence. And so like we kind of just talked about, people don't know what the passion is. And what you just described to me is like 
well, the pursuit of excellence though can fulfill that. And so do you think I'm, it's almost like a mindset shift, I think, right. Where instead of focusing on passion or what you're interested in, it's more of like, I'm going to be excellent at whatever I'm doing. And then you just keep going. So do you think, is that like, that should be the mindset and maybe that's like a replacement for passion. And then maybe you find passion along the way. Do you think that's like good advice for people? I think you summed it up beautifully, even okay. better than I could have. I'm like, wow, that's, that's exactly it. And you have to have pride, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and not just show up and phone it in. Mm -hmm. If you're going to show up and you're going to spend your time, do it amazingly. And if you're that unhappy, then find something that you can show up for that you can at least be happy showing up because this is your life, guys. There's no do-over. There's mm -hmm. no rewind button. So so you want to, that's why I say be intentional about what you put your time into. Okay. Talking a little bit about investing in real estate, do you think you can invest in real estate if you don't have money? Like you need, do you need the money? Like can you, like to find <laughs> someone that's funding it essentially maybe you're doing the work maybe you're the one doing all like the flipping right you're doing the interior and all that is that or do you need you need money essentially oh so that's a tough question because there are ways that you can participate in the process but maybe not be the financial side because i've actually because i say that and i'm like thinking no you absolutely have to have money mm -hmm. but at the same time if you don't have the money yourself then you need to partner with someone who does and you need to be the other part of the equation and i have actually done that and i've, I've found creative ways where i to get into it where i'm like okay well i don't have the money to buy the house this person has the house Maybe I can flip it for them and then we can split the profits. So you, I've gotten super good at getting really creative in finding out of the box ways to find opportunities. Again, you know, going down the logical path, everybody is doing that. It's super competitive. So this is where you have to be creative and think, okay, well, what other opportunities can there be? Now there may not be as many of those, but all you need is one or two and then you start getting your own money together so then you can take it to the next step. I think the hardest part of investing it all is, first of all, just doing it the first time. So if you're like, look, I have five bucks. I'm going to put it with yours and can you make me part of this and then give me back 10 and then you do it again and again. Mm -hmm. You know, we underestimate. We think, oh, until I can do this much, I'm not going to do it. And I think that's a mistake. We wait too long. Um, and, um, so just finding whatever avenue it is that you can, even if it is just getting your own property so that you can get some appreciation and then trading up and taking the tax that even that, and here's the thing, when you're young, it's when you're the most open to living anywhere right? Mm -hmm. It's when you get older and you get married and you have kids and then you're like, okay, I don't want to just live anywhere anymore. I have my kid. But you know, if I was smarter, you know, it took me a long time to get into my first home. I shouldn't say a long time. I was into my first home by the time I was uh, 28, but I would have even done it at 20, you know, and thought, okay, who cares? It's just a little condo because I'm not going to have it forever and I can take the appreciation or rent it afterwards. Um, but I didn't have that coaching. Ironically, my brother at 19 years old, or actually 18 years old, I take that back, I was 19, um, had received some inheritance money from my dad's passing mm -hmm. and he took it and he bought a house. 
Um, not an area I would want to buy a house, but it didn't matter. And he was able at that time because of the market, the seller actually carried back the note. He didn't even have to get a loan. Wow. And so my brother has been a homeowner since 19. He has traded up several times okay. um, and always made money. And, you know, it's amazing to me. I mean, that's crazy. It is. And so instead of renting, he went and he bought a house. Now, again, it might not have been, been a house that any of us would have, you know, what. We need to understand that we have to earn the privilege to buy our dream home. Nobody starts with their dream home. You know, that's not the reality. So that's some good advice for first-time home buyers. And I didn't want to touch on that, too. I think people probably, and you would know this because you do it for a living, <laughs> but there's probably a lot of fear with timing the market, right? Like, oh, is it a good time to buy? Is it a bad time to buy? I think it also depends on are you looking to, you know, live there forever unless something goes wrong or are you looking to stay there five years and then maybe, like you said, like upgrade. Do you have like, advice for someone? Um, like, should they just buy? I guess, does it come down to if they're looking to stay there, you know, like really long term or if it's short term as far as timing the market? Because now obviously it's not a great time with interest rates are up, right? But I'd imagine prices are also down. So like, how do you, how do you balance when's the right time to buy? Think they're not they're, down that much. They're not down that much. No, okay. no. I mean, Here, they've though, softened. Right? They've softened, but they're not. It. We're still. We had captured about twenty one point six percent appreciation in one year. Just to keep it in perspective, normal is three to four percent. Twenty one point six. Twenty one point six percent appreciation in twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Okay. Yes, and last year in twenty twenty two. The average amount for California was about 12%. So it's still going up. So wait. So okay. now we lost our appreciation from 2022, okay. but we still have all that appreciation that we're sitting. Yeah. So all I'm saying is this. Do you, Now, what I recommend to somebody that is moving into an area that is only going to live a year, that if they, when they move, if, if they can't rent it, and cover costs should, is it better to, to rent or better to buy than rent? Everyone's personal situation is a little bit different, but overall, if you can hold a property, say easily from, uh, two to four years, mm -hmm. you know, and you can secure a payment that you can afford, then just buy, mm -hmm. you know, in the end, you know, you're going to be able to have tax write-offs. And even if you don't get a ton of appreciation, at least you wrote off your rent. And if you don't need to sell it and you can go somewhere else and either purchase again or rent because in the reverse and you can rent it out, you still have a property that's giving you appreciation. Mm -hmm. So uh, where every situation is, is different, um, you know, you want to be smart about it. You find out what is my budget? What is the best thing I can buy? And then just buy it. And then guess what? Go live your life. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. My brother, when he bought his property at 19, he didn't think about appreciation. Yeah. He didn't think about any of that. He said, I need a place to live. This is what I can afford. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy it. And that's what he did. Yeah. And then he lived his life. 
and hung out with his friends at 19 in his house. So, <laughs> I mean, could you imagine? I didn't, he was, I didn't even I think bet. about how popular he was. Yeah, until... <laughs> that's crazy to think about, honestly. That's really crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was his. So, I mean, I think we overthink all of it. Everyone is an investor now. Everyone, you know who gets to be investors? Investors, investors with a lot of cash mm -hmm. they should be timing the market they're they're putting a million dollars cash non-contingent into a property they don't know what's wrong with it they're going to dump another five hundred thousand into it and then hope that the market appreciates so they can capture appreciation against the improvements it's a lot of money they should be timing the market a normal person that's going to live in the house just get one you can afford get the best thing you can afford and go live your life Okay. That's it. So I think a lot about what I would do if I was 18 again. <laughs> and I think, and I think of it in terms of not knowing what I wanted to do with my life, right? Like I personally, when I was 18, I had no idea really. And so I think what would actually be like really good for someone because i'm thinking of people that are 18 now graduating high school is maybe you just get like you go to junior college and you get your credits and then you can all, if you end up wanting to go to college you can transfer because you got all your like electives that you needed out of the way right but as far as making money i think do you think if someone was to just door knock like let's say three houses a day for a year that's a thousand houses right I would imagine if they got good at it, they'd obviously have someone that wants to sell, right? Or at least maybe they know someone, that person knows someone that wants to buy or sell, right? Let's say though, they're not, they don't want to like get the real estate license. Is there a, is there a way with that? Do you think if like that person reached out to an agent, would that agent like be open to, if that person was just bringing them deals, would that, per, would they split the commission like how 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 do you think that would work like knowing that you've done this like could they get commission from that or like a negotiate in that way would you ever be like let's say you were back when you were just starting out if you had someone who literally would just bring you deals with people that wanted to sell would you give up commission what do you think about that so it's a great question and wow what a smart thing if if they just took the initiative three doors a day would probably spend an hour a day just meeting people right and networking i bet you that they could um unfortunately in the state of california you cannot take any commission or commission cut unless you are licensed really okay. yeah so if they were to knock on a door mm -hmm. they would have to do it purely as a solicitation basis handing out a flyer they can't talk about the market you can't pose yourself as a realtor or a real estate agent unless you're licensed it is against the law so um so that they could they could give the information they can they'd have to say i'm not a real estate agent i'm just delivering this on their behalf please call them if you have any questions in that way um they can get paid hourly so you know and i'm sure that they could probably get a nice uh, bonus check you know every month for anything that closed but it's not they can't get a commission so let me change it then you're a broker right mm -hmm. let's say an 18 year old comes to you wants to get his or her license and be an agent but doesn't actually want to be an agent right mm -hmm. but it has to be under a brokerage too obviously right mm -hmm. to be considered a, an agent 
would would you think people would do that where they're just door knocking that's all they do and then maybe they work they team up with an agent under the brokerage then they could commission right and then it would just be a matter of if that person is willing to do that or not right is that right. realistic then do you think unlicensed if they're licensed oh if they're licensed but they're absolutely. not working as an agent they're just right. gonna door knock right that's all they're gonna do and they're gonna do whatever they want with their life they're gonna do three doors a day let's say yeah for years or whatever so the industry has changed a lot and the independent solo agent that was the norm in like the 70s and 80s um that's quickly going away and the reason being is with all these big conglomerates that have gotten into the real estate industry like zillow and redfin they're big corporations and in order to not to say that you it's a competition direct but you know if you want to be comparable in some of the services and the timing and the resources that they have, Um, you know, it takes a village now, you know, and it is a 24 seven. So what's happening is teams are becoming more of the um, norm. And what happens is in the teams, everyone has a specialty. One person is really good at doing marketing and uh, maybe they're cold calling and things like that. And that's all they do. And they get uh, compensated based on their contribution for that. Maybe one part of, of the team is really good at all the transaction management. So they never do any of the generation, but they're closing it. And so that's what's happening. And that's what you're seeing with these mega agents that are selling, you know, when they like to put on their Instagram, ah, uh, sold $100 billion or $100 million. They did not personally so it's a, sell. It's a team. They, when you say how many people on your team? Oh, I have 30 people on my <laughs> team. And, you know, they have five uh, listing agents that are generating these listings. I mean, not to say that they don't have contribution, but they are the face of their own, you know, company within a company really is what's happening. And what it does is it allows consistency for a lot of the agents. So because as you know, it's, it can be an inconsistent industry. Um, that's one of the reasons that agents go bankrupt is they're really, really rich and they're really, really poor. Then they're really, really rich and they're really, really poor and finding that consistency and a team can give that to you because maybe Sally closed two deals in March, but nothing in April. Well, good thing Lori closed something in April and they're all sharing the they're all sharing the pot similar to like in a restaurant industry where they pool tips. So, you know, Katie who got stiffed on three tables and went home with 20 bucks after working all night and Sarah got, you know, $350 cause she had a huge party. Now everybody is more equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also based on contribution. So that's getting more popular and it's becoming, uh, it's helping people become more sustainable for people to have longevity. But if you, you know, outgrow your team or you don't like your role, sometimes that can be tricky. Okay. But that is realistic for someone, let's say that's like just graduated. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Cool. Call me. (laughs) (laughs) Cause even at the very least, like I think, like you kind of mentioned it, the net, the networking aspect and the not being afraid to do that and kind of just getting the callous of not caring what people think. Right. I think that's like invaluable just for life in general, for anything you're going to do. Right. So at the very least, I feel like that would be good. for it, someone. It's really hard. And I have to say, I'm still learning that mm-hmm. even myself. I, I'm always evaluating where I can grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, tr- and sometimes I'm like, 
I don't know if what my limiting beliefs are. What are they? I feel I feel so bold all the time. But when I boil it down, sometimes like I don't want no one wants to be judged. Okay. I don't care how rockin' superstar you are and how amazing you are. No one wants to be called out and told or felt like to defend yourself. It's exhausting, mm -hmm. you know, even if you don't believe it and you know it's not true. It's exhausting to deflect that all the time. That's one of the reasons why I would never I, I would I love politics and I I always feel like I want to champion for the underdog. And it's actually another core reason why I started my brokerage is because I was so sick of bad representation and the way that certain companies were run that I'm like, I can't tolerate this anymore. My, my value system is I can't even be in it. I'd rather just do it myself because I, I have to do it in a certain way that I can honor myself when I look in the mirror, right? I can't mm -hmm. be part of a shady company or a shady situation. Mm -hmm. So um, I just, the, the core belief of, of who you are is so important in that whole, that whole dichotomy of it all. Last question. Let's go back to how old would you have been? Your early twenties, right? You, you, you realize what the, the, in DC, that's not what you want to do. And you're like, what am I going to do? Right. <laughs> that person is watching your life play out to now. What do you think that person would say? Um, expected like that of course that's how it all turned out proud happy i think she would first Thank say God. you're still working 12 hours a day <laughs> what you still don't get to watch tv um um i think she would say it was all worth it every single every single thing that went wrong every setback every frustration um, it's really added to who I am. Um, it's made me more fearless. It's, you know, it doesn't mean starting over gets easier where you're like, oh, here we go. I know what this means, you know, but you know, it's all okay. Like I know not that I want to manifest this and I don't want it to happen or anything, but if I lost everything tomorrow and I start over, I'd be like, okay, fresh start, clean slate. Cool. We don't, we get to like start over vanilla. You know, what do we want to make with our sandcastle today? Right. Uh -huh. Um, which sometimes people are so afraid of losing what little they think they have, but you know, in the end, we don't take any of it with us. It's just for play. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, um, it's all worth it. And, um, in the end, um, just, remembering to stay true to yourself um and knowing that you know being a human means that there's some suffering and some pain but that's usually when the growth happens if anyone wants to get in contact let's say they want to buy a house sell a house maybe they have an investment property what's mm -hmm. the best way to get in contact with you um they can text me just call me directly on my cell phone it's uh available 818-613-1767 you can also find me on social media at landon realty group um you can direct message me there we're on uh, instagram facebook all that reach out uh, i'm happy to TikTok or no? You guys doing You know, TikToks? we do have TikToks, but kind of soft a little bit. I'm not the TikTok <laughs> queen that I thought I was going to. You know, I love all that, but uh -huh. it takes like time. It's a lot. I it's know. It's a whole other thing. 
I know. You almost need a team, honestly. I feel like if you're. And I have one, and I. But like the social media team, I mean. No, I have one. Oh, you have one too. Yes, I have one because I and even then I feel like we I need like just one for each thing. It's. It's tough. And I love the TikTok dances and all that kind of fun stuff, but just but anyway, that's a whole nother. We'll have to get you back on there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for doing it.